0: turn, up your, turn up your volume because you're about to listen to the sick podcast the sick podcast with Tony Maradera
1: 55 seconds left in the penalty a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time Boston 4 Montreal 3 Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side he gives it
0: into the air back to Lafleur the sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant, Et c'est le défi qui ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. Woohoo! Pour les Canadiens, le 23 troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, You found
2: the dogs! He found the dogs and all together they worked the young team to the top And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal The Canadians win the Stanley Cup.
0: Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group driven to be different LaB TV it's gonna be sick.
2: That's right. I, the Hebrew Hammer. Matt O'Han. I'm back. Uh, I took a couple weeks off for uh, some bachelor parties, some family engagements, but I am back. Don't worry about it. I am here uh, to bring you your Tuesday version of the Sick Podcast. Tony needed the night off, uh, so he's done me enough favors. So I very much obliged this morning, even though he texted me last night. All right. Uh, The SICK Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, who has recently been named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies. The country's leading business award recognizing innovative and world-class companies. The best managed Canadian companies designation fuels energy's purpose of creating progress for our customers, our employees, and our communities. Join a winning team and check out Energy's page for available opportunities also brought to you by la bit at tb brewed in quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards la bit at tv offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste la bit at tb embrace your true nature, and of course by XL Moto, uh, they are the premier motorcycle and scooter dealership in Montreal for over twenty years. Our dealership carries seven different motorcycle and scooter brands. We are number one Aprilla and Piaggio ambassadors uh, for the last five years. XL Moto, your ultimate destination and best customer service experience. All right, let's get to it. Uh, You know, we got an NHL game going on right now. It's not much of a game as the Vegas Golden Knights are up 4-0 in the second intermission on the Dallas Stars. Uh, You know, the Dallas Stars fans, if you haven't seen, they were throwing things on the ice uh, before the end of the second period. So the refs decided to call the period early with about 20 or so seconds. So not much to talk about there. uh, But we will get to the rest of the NHL playoffs after we talk Habs with our Habs roundtable table guests. First, I will introduce him. He is from Donley Coulisse and BPM sport. His name is shall Alexi Brisebois shall. How are we doing?
1: Hi, I'm doing great. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm well rested. I got a lot of sleep over the past three weeks. You know, he's a uh, Tony's been cutting into my uh, sleep time every Friday night, you know, working this podcast Friday night. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And, uh, we will introduce our next guest now. He is from Hab's Eyes on the Prize. His name shares a pretty good first name with me, Matt Drake. Matt, how are we doing? I'm doing terrific. It's
3: it's always it's a good day to be a Matt, you know? It's always a good day to be a Matt.
2: It's it's always a good day. Exactly. Exactly. Um, just full disclosure before we jump into it. Okay, I love scaring the crap out of Sammy and Agnello every episode. Um So just for – just going to pull back the curtain here a little bit. This backdrop behind me, um, I put it up. I'm not a very good handyman. Um, It's being hung by duct tape. Now, every (laughs) so often – and this thing weighs a ton. Like you you wouldn't believe how heavy this thing is. Um, Every so often when I get home from the work or being out on the town at night, this backdrop I find – Folded over over my desk, crushing my laptop and whatever else is on my desk. So there is a very, very small chance that this thing will crash on me during the show, which would make for a great clip and for good laughs Um, and a stressful situation for me. Who doesn't like laughing at a a stressed out me? Um, I know Sammy and Yellow do. So no worries there. Uh, all right now that that's out of the way let's uh let's start off with the Habs because uh frankly these uh NHL conference finals have just been uh very uninteresting for the most part uh in terms of uh results cuz both of them are well one of them is about to be 3 nothing and the other one is 3 nothing so uh obviously it's draft season so we're going to start there as uh we usually do so i've been seeing a lot on twitter uh, and i know twitter doesn't really reflect the real world but you know i've i've been seeing a lot on twitter people like kind of freaking out about what the habs are going to do with the fifth uh, overall pick a lot of people are saying they're going to take the they're going to take dalibur dvorsky or david reinbacher who's supposed to be the best defenseman in the draft um but The problem with being the best defenseman in the draft, drafting the best defenseman in the draft, I should say, is that this is supposedly the most offensively talented draft at the top end of it in the past God knows how many years. So, would you, given the, I'm going to tell you, they're going to take one of Dvorak or Reinbacher. Would you, do you think that they're better off trading the pick? We'll start with Matt.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg.
3: I'm hard to say if they're better off trading the pick or not. I mean, Reinbacher, we're hearing a lot of comparisons to Moritz Sider, And if that's the case, if that's for real, if he really is the next coming of Moritz Sider, then they're better off making the pick than they are trading it because you don't often get defensemen like that. And they could really use a defenseman like that uh Dvorsky I'm I'm just not sold I think if they were going to go in that route with the fifth overall pick I would trade down and uh and hope that he comes to you a little bit later in the draft he's maybe able to stack some extra capital and still get the player that you're looking for uh it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me uh if they're doing Ryan Backer, they better be sure that he's the second coming of Moritz outsider because if he's not and you use the fifth overall pick on him you're going to miss out on a bunch of other players maybe Will Smith maybe Zach Benson maybe Madve Mishkov Maybe Leo Carlson. We don't know who's going to be available at five, but we know there's going to be a lot of really offensively talented guys at number five. I think unless they're 100% sure and they better be 100% sure that he's the next coming more insider, I wouldn't go in that direction. As for Dvorsky, I really think that they could just trade down and get him because it sounds from what you're hearing on Twitter and from all of the insiders, so to speak, it doesn't sound like there's any other teams that are that interested in him other than Montreal. If you're, if you're listening to the rumors. So, I mean, again, if it's him, I'd trade down. If it's, reinbacher then I would just be I would just pray to the hockey gods that they're 100% sure about him.
2: Shaw, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it's going to be it, it's a tough spot for Kent Hughes right now because as we all know, I mean Connor Bedard is going to go first, then it's going to be Fantilli and probably Carlson and um and Will Smith 3 and 4 or 4 and 3 and then you're going to probably have to make that decision. Uh, are you taking Mishkov? Because if someone else takes Mishkov, the the decision is easy. But right now, it's probably the toughest spot in the the draft, considering that I I think Mishkov probably is gonna go to um, to Arizona because they don't fear drafting Russian guys, and they have two picks in the first uh, the first twelve. So the the Habs they, they they cannot miss that opportunity for that, and because they don't plan to draft. Four or fifth or sixth the next year because they want to get better. So it's probably going to be the last huge pick that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are going to make. So uh, as Matt said, you need to be sure about the guy you're going to draft. If you have doubts about um, any one of them, you need to draft down and to acquire some assets. I don't know if it's a strategy that Kent Hughes wants to use because it's going to be a second draft. It's not something that Jeff Gordon did in the past in New York but maybe the opportunity is gonna rise in that particular situation so we're, we're just gonna see but I I wouldn't be totally surprised to see them draft that.
2: yeah I'm uh, I, I'm not too too concerned with because I mean listen like last year uh, who was the uh, David Juracek? Uh, he got drafted what fifth sixth seventh overall. <laughs> And now people are saying, you know, based off of one year, these are still a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year old kids that he's going to be the best player of that draft. So it's it's so wait and see for me, which is like really the the boring answer to the question. But I agree with you. You you better be damn sure because frankly, I think uh, listen, if if the, if scouting projections are right from bef- even before the Canadians drafted Yuri um, uh, Slavkovsky. And that, you know, he's just going to end up being, you know, a 60 point guy, which you can't complain about. But at first overall, you kind of could complain about that. They're <laughs> damn lucky that they got Lane Hudson in the second round. Now, I don't know who else the Canadians have their eyes on. But, you know, if if I'm telling you that uh, if we're going to play the what if game now, like if the Canadians drafted Slavkovsky becomes a 60 point player, you know, which are for the most part a dime a dozen uh, and they don't end up with lane hudson that is a an incredible failure of a draft uh by kent hughes and, and jeff gordon so uh I, i'm with i'm with you guys you got to be damn sure about these things but it, it's tough because you know as as people on the outside we're not scouts we're not watching every single second we're going off by what other people are saying uh so i don't know it's a it's stressful stressful times but um Let's say Michkoff is there. Are are you guys on the Michkoff train? Are you off the Michkoff train? Uh, Shal, let's start with you. Like uh, I know a lot of people are concerned with uh, with his situation.
1: It's hard to say, obviously, because we don't have all the facts. And pro- there's probably one information or two that is very crucial that we don't know right now. Um, so just based on talent, obviously, you you got to draft a guy. I'm not sure um, about the rest and I'm not stressed, by the way, by with the, the contract itself, because, you know, I mean, a lot of the those prospects are going to wait one, two, three, four years before coming to the NHL. So I'm not stressed by that. But you you don't know exactly what's going on in Russia right now. So that could scare some some people. And You know, the fact that the the, the Florida Panthers are so great in the playoffs and we're not drafting number 17 right now, I think it puts more pressure on pick number five. I think if Kent Hughes has that 17 pick, maybe he could consider Mishkov a little bit more saying we have a safety net at number 17. Uh, Right now, the safety net is probably going to be 31 and it's probably going to be 32, in fact, because those those Panthers look really (laughs) great. So uh, I don't know if I would draft Mishkov right now. I don't have all the informations as I said, but as of right now, I probably lean to it till no, but I'm not sure.
3: Matt? Uh, I'll, I'll go the other way. I'll, I'll say, you know what, I, I would take him. Uh, I'd have no problem taking him. I think the Habs can afford to wait, right? He's uh, the, the situation in Russia is something that I don't think anybody in the hockey world has a full grasp on. Nobody's too sure what's happening over there. player players going to be able to come over? But we do know, I've, I've heard that he's going to be at the draft, for example. So obviously that combined with the fact that he's mentioned in the past that he would be open to signing a contract in the NHL. Once his contract's done in the KHL, that's when the Habs are going to be getting towards you know the possibility of being contenders anyways. So why not, considering that he's almost universally agreed to be the number two player in this draft behind Connor Bedard in terms of ceiling, why not make that bet? I think Kent Hughes, after last year's draft, again, too early to really call it and say your Slavkovsky is a bust. He's still got plenty of time to develop. But after the way that went, the fact that they obviously were one year late in terms of getting the first overall pick and getting a generational player, I think they can afford to take a swing and they can afford to wait a few years for him to actually come over because that's when they're going to be ready to compete anyways. So I think... You know, personally, I've been beating the drum for Zach Benson since way earlier in the year. Uh, as soon as they were, right, they got right around that fifth last area, that's the kind of the guy that I've been wanting. But if they went Madve Mishkot, I ha- I'd have no issue with it. I think they can afford to wait. And I think taking a swing on potentially a, a generational type player, a guy who is universally considered to be the number two and behind Connor Bedard in terms of sheer talent, I-, I don't have a problem with that. And I'd-, I'd be happy to sit back and wait a couple of years uh, for him to come over. And then you get another Kirill Kaprizov situation in Montreal this time where yeah the guy drops further than he should have in the draft and then once he comes over you got a guy who's probably over a point per game as long as he develops well.
2: Well you know that's that's the thing that I was uh I was thinking about with all this Mitchkov stuff was was Kirill Kaprizov cuz you know he comes in as a rookie at what well, how old was he in his rookie year 24 23 something like that yeah. And he just comes in and, you know, throwing up uh, 80 points, uh, you know, he sneezed that he had 80 points in the NHL. So, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I think the Habs could afford to wait. Um, but I also agree with, with Shal, your first point that you made on the night, which is, you know, this should be the last, the last highest pick. Or the the highest pick that Kent Hughes should be making the rest of his tenure in Montreal, you know, because I'm assuming the goal for next year is to be at the very least a 500 team, um, based off of how this year went, considering all the injuries that happened and all that. So, um, I, I I think they could afford to take that swing, and it's one that, you know, it's tough. You look back on it in five years from now, say, uh, you know, Mitch gives the middle finger to the, to North America and says, I want to <laughs> stay in Russia. You know, who knows what opinions are going to be then. But, uh, you know, we know now that in this moment that it, it, it makes so much sense. Uh, I mean, it makes sense to not take him. It makes sense to take him. It depends how risk averse you want to be. But... Uh, I think Kent Hughes has proven especially last year at the draft, his first draft in Montreal, when he traded uh when he traded Romanov for uh, uh, for that pick and then trade turned that pick into Doc. You know, I think he's proven that he can he can take a swing if it's calculated enough. And I'm sure they've been doing their homework on Mitchkov. Um all right, this is where it's gonna get a little weird. Uh we're only 15 minutes in. It's gonna get weird. But bear with me because I mean, listen, right? Like there's no there's been no news. There's been no news, nothing, not a sliver of news out of the Canadians camp recently. So we're going to we're just going to have some fun here and I'm going to throw out some things that I'm going to get demolished for in the comments. And uh, that's going to be life. So let's start. Um, It's going to come full circle. We're not getting weird yet. Um, Cole Caulfield. His contract, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. They set an internal cap with uh, with Nick Suzuki, and that this is going to be you know, a simple deal to wrap up. Well, eh, not so much because a lot of people thought at the uh, um, at the post-mortem, that's where they were going to announce it. Uh, you know, the, the draft lottery would have been a perfect time to, an announce, to announce it after the Canadians got fifth overall. Uh, lots of good timing to do that and uh, not so much anymore. So are either of you getting worried with the Caulfield contract situation?
1: No, I'm not. I'm not worried about what's going on right now because we're in May. The playoffs are not even done. The, the The draft is not behind us. The free agency is not behind. its contract is not up first. So you know, even if it ha- if it happens in July or in August, it's not going to be the end of the world. That being said, I understand why there is this sense of urgency because, you know, Cole, Cole Caulfield is really, really, really loved in Montreal and the expect- the, the expectations were um, that he was going to sign during the season and the fact that his season ended in January made made, a, made sure that we could start to to negotiate right now because he's not going to score more or he's not going to do anything more. But it's not... Uh, you know, Kent Hughes has a lot of things to talk to think about right now. It's the same thing for Pat Brisson, which is uh, his agent. So, no, I'm not worried for now. I think it's going to happen when it's going to happen. I still think it's going to be a, a long-term deal. I think he wants to be and he likes to be in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So, for now, I'm not stressed. Maybe if you ask the same question um, 10 days before the next training camp, my answer could be different. But as of right now, as of end of May, I'm not stressed.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried either. They're, they're going to get that deal done. The only question at this point is, is somebody going to come in and try to offer sheet him? Uh, I've seen rumors out there that the Flyers are interested in offering him and correcting that mistake that they made back at the draft when they took Cam York over him. But look, barring that, I don't see a situation where Cole Caulfield is not back with a new contract next year. I think really the question is, how, how long is the term going to be? Uh, I, I think most thinking is that you, you chain him to Nick Suzuki, you sign him to a seven-year deal. He gets the benefit of getting to free agency a little bit quicker in that scenario, and then he can renegotiate a new deal at that point based on what he's accomplished over the course of that deal. But uh, there's also the possibility, of course, just signing him to an eight-year deal, the max that you're able to offer him. Um, I, I think a lot of the concern is just the fact that it hasn't happened yet. And realistically, you have to consider the fact that he was hurt for most of the season. You're, you're not going to be signing a contract while he's in the middle of rehabbing that injury, which uh, he was working on for, what, Almost half the year, so I, I, I think this is one where it, if if he hadn't gotten hurt, he probably would have signed it. I would ex, I would have expected before the end of the season, uh, but because he got hurt, that delayed the process a little bit. And as Shala Alexi mentioned, you know they they had a, they have a lot of other things going on right now, so I'd expect it to get done probably sometime just after the draft.
2: Yeah, I'm. Th- so you mentioned the reason, Matt, why I'm I'm starting to sweat a little bit is just because of the upper sheet thing. Um, you know, he has to sign that offer sheet, you know, just like, uh, just like Sebastian Ajo had to sign that offer sheet deal from, uh, from the Canadians way back when, but still that, that's the part that scares me because, you know, like the flyers, they've been dying for a goal scorer forever. And, you know, there's one that they could probably just throw a bunch of money at and then throw the Canadians plans for a loop. Um, the only reason why i'm starting to sweat um you know it's i'm dealing with a contract negotiation with my other favorite team in the cincinnati Bengals and joe burrow he was asked about mm. it and uh i this i find interesting actually i want and i'm interested to get your guys's take on it um so he's obviously going to be making a bajillion dollars uh one, once he signs his contract um and but he said to the media he's involved A little bit. That's all. That's the little nugget he gets said, because he said, I know what I know what needs to be done because I want to keep a core of a team together. Um, If Caulfield were to come out and say say something like that, you know, this goes against all that uh, hockey players stand for uh, in being transparent. But, you know, if he were to come out and say that, would that make you feel even better?
3: I'd I'd love to hear something, and uh, I think if you were to say something along those lines, it would make me feel better about the concept that maybe he'd be taking a team friendly deal. But I do think like there's 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 a certain limit that the Habs are going to go to. I think the Nick Suzuki deal kind of sets a bit of an internal cap, right? I know Caulfield is a goal scorer, so there's different considerations for that. He was on pace for over forty goals this season. Obviously, had he hit that, you have a case there as his agent. If you're Pat Brisson, you could be potentially arguing for ten million plus, right? But with that Nick Suzuki deal, it's it's tough in a negotiation to sit there and say, well, I want 10 million. We know what Nick Suzuki is getting. He's getting under eight. It's hard for you to go that much further over Nick Suzuki just on the fact that you were projected to go over 40 goals. So I think the dollars and cents aren't much of a concern. But if he came out and said something like that, then I'd probably be sitting at home being like, yeah, he's going to take a team yes. friendly. He's going to come in at six milli and we're going to have a 40 goal scorer for six mil. That, that's not going to happen, I don't think. But if he said something like that, yeah, now that you mention it, I'd probably be at home, you know, prematurely celebrating the fact that he was going to sign a team friendly.
1: <laughs> probably that everybody would have that, that same reaction. That being said, I think we need to, to think about the fact that when you are in a negotiation, everything you say publicly is... Is, has some yeah. goal, right? So, you know, Kent mm-hmm. Hughes doesn't want to say anything. Marc Bergevin was the same type. And Pat Brisson is an experienced agent. So, uh, I think that if Cole Caulfield says something, it would be calculated. That being said, it could still be a, a good news for, for the Canadians because everybody is kind of worried right now. I, as I said, I don't know why because it's still early, but it's still. And, you know, Matt, I wanted to add about the, uh, the offer sheet. The thing you have to consider about the Flyers is the fact that Daniel Briard is a brand new GM, and I don't know if he would do such thing uh, when he's brand That's new. I mean, if it, if you think about uh, an old GM uh, like a David Boyle, I know he's going to retire, but a, a guy like him, maybe you could have the, the, the standard to to do something like that. But Briar was uh, arrived in March, and he was confirmed a few days, a few weeks ago. So I'm not sure the Flyers would completely do that. But you know what? It's Philadelphia. Maybe it's going to happen. So we, we never know. Well, that's it. It's Philadelphia. So, all right, let's. Uh, we we brought up the offer sheet by
2: Philadelphia. Okay, let's let's start to get weird. First two things. I were well, the first of the first two things I asked you guys were. Um, are the Canadians better off trading the pick? And about Cole Caulfield's contract situation. Things go sour behind closed doors. Nobody knows because then his value would obviously tank. He doesn't want to sign in Montreal anymore. Um, Are you trading the fifth overall pick and Cole Caulfield for second overall in the NHL draft, landing yourself Adam Fantilli? Let's start with Shaul Alexi. I know that's a lot to process, so that's why I'm going to continue talking for like five more seconds for you to be able to formulate an answer in your head.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a hard one. You know, if you would have said number one, it would have been clear that yes, I would have done it. Uh, number two, I, I don't know how, how good Fently is going to be. Uh, I know Caulfield will probably be uh, happy to be with his buddy Trevor Zegers. That being said, he, he looks happy right now in in Montreal too with with Nick Suzuki. So it's it's a, it's a hard call. Um, I. I'm not sure I would do it because um, I know Fentili is going to be a hell of a player, but Cole Caulfield is a really good goal scorer and number five is going to be a really good player. So I'm not sure that the difference between number five and number two is worth Cole Caulfield. I think the difference between five and one is worth Cole Caulfield, but I'm not sure with two, it's worth it. Uh, You have two young players, and I know that uh, Caulfield is not going to be paid as a young player because his contract is up, but he's he's still very, very young. He's going to be with the Habs for a long time. He looks happy in town. Uh, He is very essential to that uh, locker room too. And, you know, remember when he got injured, the first thing that the guy said is, is not we're going to have to 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 compensate on the ice. They said we're going to have to compensate on the fact that he's always happy and he's bringing something in, the, in this locker room. So if you trade Cole Caulfield and uh, Adam Fantilli is not having a, a great first season or whatever, the people are really, really going to yeah. be unhappy about it. So I, I don't think I'm doing it.
3: You're getting, uh, yeah, you're, you're getting cop cars flipped and set on fire in Montreal yeah, if you yeah, do yeah, that, yeah, and uh, and it doesn't work <laughs> out. Um, yep. Yeah, if it was if it was uh, Bedard uh, every day and twice on Sundays, I make the deal, right? Mm. As far as Fantilli is concerned, look, it, it goes super hypothetical with it. If Caulfield like came out publicly and said, "I'm not signing in Montreal, it's not happening," bring on the offer sheets or something, and he tried to make it super public, which I don't see that happening. He seems very happy in Montreal. I agree with Shalalixie on that front. Um, if that happened, then maybe I'd make the deal just to you know, get some value out of him considering that, you know, he's going to be on his way out anyways. Um, but I think as it stands, you know, with his contract up in the air and as far as we know, the negotiations are ongoing, I wouldn't make the deal. Um, I, I think Fantilli is going to be a great player. Uh, but as alexi mentioned with number five and then Cole Caulfield as well, the chemistry that Cole Caulfield has with Nick Suzuki, I think that that as a package five and Cole Caulfield is worth considerably more uh, than going after Adam Fantilli as, as good as I think he's going to be.
2: Yeah, that's just the thing. You know, again, like I said, I was going to get uh, destroyed in the comments. That's exactly what's happening, which is <laughs> fantastic. You know, we love that engagement. That's the good stuff. Keep commenting on, uh, you know, how crazy I am. But no, but the, see, I, I'm with you guys. I don't think I would have the guts to do it either. But, like, I would kind of understand it if it did happen. It's a, You want to talk about massive risk? Yeah, You better be... Damn sure about Adam Fantilli because uh, they're pretty they're pretty damn sure that Cole Caulfield is going to be a forty to fifty goal scorer uh, in his uh, over the course of his career. You know, you know, barring he stays healthy. So. yeah let's just uh let's just move on from that one uh i thought it was just like uh oh let's uh throw that out there you know because uh there's no news so maybe no news means he requested a trade um all right no uh so before we move on to the rest of the nhl playoffs i just want i I want to ask you guys again draft season and you know it's prospect season you know we're talking we've been talking a lot on this podcast or tony has uh to to scouts and asking them his opinion on the on the prospects that are already in the system um now obviously lane hudson is the easy answer so i'm going to take him out of the equation Um, other than lane hudson uh just give me one or two prospects that excite you guys the most uh that you've been seeing a lot about uh let's let's start with matt
3: uh well number one for me i've been one of this guy's biggest boosters for a while joshua hua um, he had a fantastic season in Sherbrooke, really impressive world junior, uh, hockey championship as well. I'm sure everybody saw that the, the ridiculous penalty kill shift that he had was honestly my favorite part of that world junior championships. And it's not like he scored a goal or anything. And he had plenty of points. He was over a point per game at that tournament. On top of that, he has developed his game in every single facet that he needs to, in order to become a productive NHL player. Um, when he was drafted, the book on him was this guy can shoot and that's about it. He had a really good shot and, uh, you know, it drove him down to the fifth round because uh, he had some issues with the skating, uh, issues defensively. He's corrected a lot of that. He's gotten better skating. Uh, he's considerably better defensively. He's developed a ridiculous penalty kill uh, ability. Um, everything that he needs in order to become successful at the next level because just being able to shoot wasn't going to be enough for him. Um, I, I really think that once he makes it to the NHL, like he's significantly increased his ceiling to the point where you know before you might have been talking about a third line ceiling on him, and now he's got legitimate top six potential. Uh, again, fantastic season, really impressive playoffs out of him. They lost unfortunately to Halifax in the semifinals, but uh, look, he's done everything that I needed to see from him to get more excited about him than I already was. Uh, number two behind him, I would honestly have to say Riley Kidney. I'm sticking in the queue. Uh, I love my queue, guys. Riley Kidney after he got traded to get to know, he went on an ungodly tear so he almost made the world junior team he gets hurt at camp and then after he got hurt at camp he goes back to the queue gets traded and then just starts murdering everything in that league I actually got the chance to speak with him when he was here in St. John um, playing a game against the Sea Dogs and I asked him about that I was like did you get extra motivation from not making that team and he said absolutely absolutely you know, when I didn't make that team, I didn't get the opportunity to play in front of my home fans. He's like, I went back and he's like, it just it lit a fire inside of me. And I really wanted to prove to everybody what I could do. And he did that and more. Uh, he was fantastic for the remainder of that season. I don't necessarily think he's got the same ceiling as a Joshua Hua, but I think he could be a very useful player. Uh, I'm super excited to see both of those guys graduate and go to Laval next year. I think they're going to be great performers. I think the Rocket are going to be super fun to watch because both of those guys are going to be on the ice. And uh, yeah, outside of Lane Hudson, I'd put both of those guys right up there, pretty close to Lane Hudson in terms of how excited I am to see what they do at the next level.
1: Go ahead, Charles. Yeah, you name two really great guys in the queue. Um, Logan Mayu is is going to be a hell of a defenseman, and you know if if the Habs decided to to take a risk uh, with all the conditions that we know is because the guy is worth it, and we saw it. We saw him this year, and it was exciting to see him play because he didn't really play that much in the first in the past few years because of, of the pandemic because of the suspension because of an injury because of everything you can think about he didn't play and this year he could really be the quarterback that the the Knights needed he developed uh, defensively, developed um, offensively, and he developed uh, also uh, the, the the outside of the ice, obviously. So uh, I re- I'm really excited to see him. I think he's gonna start in Laval next year, but who knows if he has a, a, a good season? We we saw last year that uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are are not afraid to to give the kids the the chance to play at the blue line. So I, I think we can see him in Montreal sooner than later, and he's bringing that. That that the that offensive side that we need on the right side because we know all of the, 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 the left-siders that the Montreal Canadiens have for the future. But on the right side, uh, besides Justin Barron and Logan Mayou it's not really that uh, that full. So I'm, I'm really excited to see him. And you know, Sean Farrell it wasn't the best player on the ice, obviously, at the end of the season Montreal, but he was getting his feet wet in the NHL. Think he could play in Laval next year, he could play in Montreal. I don't know. I think the training camp is going to be really important for him. But, you know, he was a very, very important player in the NCAA in the past two years. He played for the USA. He was really, really dominant. He has that, that skill set that not a lot of players have in the NHL so if that could translate from NCAA to the pro level I think he could be a very very dangerous guy and I think he is underestimated a little bit because he is small and because he wasn't as exciting as we thought when he came in the NHL so I think some people uh, got down the horse but I really think he's going to be good next year
3: yeah on my you uh, uh yeah go ahead on my you real quick uh sorry to cut you off but on my you real quick, yeah, no in case anybody didn't see it he shoots the puck harder than anybody on the montreal canadians roster right now i mean yep. if he came up to the habs i guarantee you do a hardest shot competition he has the hardest shot they clocked him at i think 104 miles per hour at the london Knights skills competition this guy has a pro shot mm-hmm. he's got some work to do but i i agree with you 100 like you put you put him on if if the only thing he had to do was play the power play And that's it. He didn't have to play uh, five on five in the NHL. You could put him on the Habs roster tomorrow, and I guarantee he's going to be productive because as a power play weapon, he's unmatched.
2: You know, yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Logan Mayu as well. He was the because on, and honestly, the biggest reason why is because Matt, you're tweeting out OHL highlights uh, nonstop, and every time you tweet out a highlight, because I know you do it for a bunch of prospects, but every time you were doing it, especially in the past few months, it just felt like it was always Logan Mayu. And I'm like going, my God, what is this guy I have 200 points in this in the in the OHL? What, like, what the hell's going on here? And it's just he just seems like he's gonna be you know, a really, really solid defenseman. And, you know, like we were we were, like uh, like you guys brought up, like that right side is not very uh it's not exactly a shining spot. Reinbacher, he's a right handed shot defenseman, so that's an option at five if the Canadians wanted to take that. But what they have in the system right now in Justin Barron and uh Logan Mayu looks really really good. Uh very interested to see what Logan Mayu could do. Uh one name Probably not high on a lot of people's lists, uh, but I'm just literally going based off of the one AHL playoff game I went to this year, um, which the uh, Rockets scored zero goals in. But uh, he looked pretty good in that game for a team that didn't score any goals, which was Emil Heinemann. This guy, Mm -hmm. wow, could he fly up and down the ice and, like, carry the puck? I was really impressed with how he looked in that playoff game. You know, I think they lost four, nothing. It's hard to look good in a four, nothing game and hard to be visible and stand out. And he managed to do that. And I was just, you know, I was really taken aback with how, how this guy could fly up and down the ice, but with not just, not just pure raw speed, like controlled with the puck, he can move. And it's just, he was all over the place in all the best ways possible. So, uh, definitely one guy who i am very very interested to see come training camp um, all right let's uh let's we we made it 35 minutes for a team that has not had news in uh, god knows how long more than 50% of the podcast was spent on them i'm going to give myself and, and we didn't 10 even give the, the
3: ridiculous trade propositions for pierre luc dubois uh,
2: yeah, we did it. We did it. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for another time. We'll save that for another time uh, where we trade the fifth overall pick and Cole Caulfield for Pierre-Luc Dubois. <laughs> um, no, but uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about the news uh, of what happened. Well, I'll, I'll ask you guys. Do you guys want to start? I have two things on the docket. Do you want to start with Florida or do you want to start with Toronto?
1: Let's talk about Toronto. <laughs> Yeah, let's
2: talk about Toronto. I'm always good to dump on Toronto. Um, all right, so Dubis obviously fired last week. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about it, been flip flopping a lot about it. I'm just going to ask you guys straight up: like, is is what happened to the Leafs Dubis's fault? Uh, whoever whoever wants to just jump in first.
3: I mean, he he signed all the deals. And then, uh, obviously, he had the assumption that the cap was going to go up. Cap didn't go up, and he stood pat. He stuck with his guys, and they couldn't win more than a round. Say what you will about Marc Bergevin, right? I was not his biggest fan when he was in Montreal, even with the success that he had, right? But he did have some playoff success, and he did that without superstars. He did that mostly without signing gigantic deals for his stars. Um, he did sign a few. Uh, he signed one and then traded the guy away right before his uh, no trade clause kicked in. So uh, not to make a, a comparison between the two, but yeah, I, I think it is his fault as much as, you know, the Habs lack of being able to get over the hump and really actually win a cup was not fault because he didn't do enough to give the Habs scoring in front of Carey Price. He was sitting there relying on Carey Price to carry them as far as he possibly could until he until he broke. Right, it's the same thing for Dubis. He signed these big deals, expected the cap to go up, didn't adjust after the fact, didn't uh, refuse to trade any of his major uh, contracts that he signed, and as a result, they didn't have a team that was capable of doing more than one round. So, I, I think it is his fault. But I will say this in his defense: you know, Brendan Shanahan, I'm I'm not sure why he's the guy who gets to pull the trigger on that move. I feel like he should have been. You know, if, if Dubis is out the door, you're out the door too because you were there even longer than him. So, what, what did you do really to uh, to help? Change anything that was going to happen to the Leafs there, um, so yeah, yeah, I think he's he's to blame for it. But uh, again, it, it strikes me as odd that Shanahan gets to pull
2: that trigger.
1: Two good points, Matt, that you made. First, the, the point about the cap is is really good because you know COVID uh, struck any uh, everything uh, differently. And talking about Brendan Shannon, I think, is important because, yes, I think that uh, it's Kyle Dubas moves at the end of the day, but we, we're we not sure exactly what Brendan Shannon decided to do or not to do with that team. We heard that he could have nixed a few deals, so maybe, I don't know that let's say that we learned that uh, Dubas decided to bring uh, that that grid that defenseman that they needed to to go further along and that Brandon Shanahan said no because he wanted to 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 keep his four stars or something like that so i'm not sure exactly which parts belongs to Brandon Shanahan and let's say that Kyle Dubas was his fourth GM while he's president. So he's going to be with his, five, uh, his fifth GM uh, when he hires someone. It's really a lot of GMs for a guy to be there and just to win one round of playoff hockey. So I'm not exactly uh, ready to throw everything to Kyle Dubas. I think he is a very good GM, but obviously he decided to make a lot of moves and he is that he was the GM, so he, he needs to be accountable for what he did.
2: Yeah, see, um, I I love what you just said about Brandon Shanahan because this is really like top down. And again, we don't analyze the Canadian, we don't analyze the Leafs. Sorry, the way we analyze the Canadians. So, I mean, I don't know how they're so well how they're run. You know what? Who's in charge of what and what's going on there? But. you know, Brendan Shanahan was the one. And now I'm not going to say that Lou Lamorello was the right guy for this team with all the young players that were there. Um, however, I will say this, that Brendan Shanahan cho- – well, this is, you know, I, to quote a former colleague of mine at, 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 at the radio station, which he said – he tweeted it out. He said, listen – I think the uh, I think the the inmates are running the prison in Toronto. Shanahan was the one who fired Lou in favor of Kyle Dubas and you know they built this flashy team where I don't know, I never really felt you know except for maybe a couple games against Tampa Bay this year that they ever played like a team in the playoffs. You know, it always felt like it was just if they won a game, it was one guy who just carried the load on his shoulders. And then, you know, when the chips were down and they really needed to perform, you know, they just they had no one to look to. So uh, because it's just you know, the, the, I don't know if there's fighting in the locker room, but there was just like a lack of togetherness, and it, and it and it shows with the way that they fold. So, you know. The one thing I will say is that Dubis built a hell of a team on uh, on uh, on paper, but really the one thing that I could I will always knock him for, which was just his goaltending moves. Like, what the hell is going on there? You know, like, yeah. listen, Samsonov was good in the regular season, but uh, you're that, that's going based off of record. Anyone anyone in front of that team would have been had I would have had a good record. You guys would have had a good record in front of that team. So I, I, don't, know I don't know about me,
3: but. <laughs> I, I was a defenseman, so you know I, I would have stood out front of the net and probably been a liability out there, uh, and then maybe Florida would have traded their first round pick for me. <laughs> the Ben Charat joke. <laughs> well,
2: there you go. But uh, you know, it's just it's it's unbelievable. Just I don't know, I'm with you guys. Like I think it's how does Shanahan just get away scot-free? I don't know. And I and, and yeah. I don't find a lot of people are talking about that.
3: The the other one's Keefe though, right? And I think that's part of the problem with Dubas is that he's stuck by Keefe. Keefe got outcoached in almost every single game of those playoffs. He got like, they got outplayed by Tampa and a lot of that had to do with coaching. You saw some of the matchups that he was choosing with home ice advantage. Like they won one game on home ice in those playoffs out of the five, they won. One of them was on home ice. That's a problem. You have to be able to win at home in the playoffs. It's the whole reason that you play the regular season. What's the point of being so good in the regular season and getting home ice advantage and then ruining it by playing ridiculous, nonsensical matchups, right? He played right into John Cooper's hands and he got lucky because his talent bailed him out. Right. So that roster, those, those, those elite star players that Dubas was able to ink to big contracts, they did what they're supposed to do in that round, but it's, it's unsustainable in the NHL playoffs. You have to be good enough to win those 16 games, right? And to win 16 games, you better win more than one at home through the first two rounds. It I've, 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 I can't go and check the stats on it, but I would bet my entire bank account that no team has gotten through the playoffs winning only or winning only one game at home in the first two rounds and then won the cup. He got out coached. And that that also goes on Dubas's record because he's the guy who chose the coach. That was his guy. He stuck with him after uh after he lost to Montreal in the first round and then lost to Tampa in the first round. Stuck with him. So I mean it's kind of, I, I hate to keep going back to the Habs uh, as it compares them, but it's kind of the same thing with Bergervin where he kept, like he, he got his coaches and then when, when his coach didn't work out, he got another coach. And then at, at some point it's like, well, you've been hiring all these coaches and nothing's changing. We still have the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that also goes back to Dubas. But again, still, it, it blows my mind that Shanahan is somehow just completely safe in all of this because who put Dubas in his chair?
1: Yeah, And it's interesting to, to talk about uh, Sheldon Keefe because it, I, I wonder how much Dubas defended him because, you know, he hired him when he was in the OHL in Sault marie He hired him when, when he was named GM of the Marlies when he was uh, an assistant, and he named him uh, a, with the Marlies. And then when Mike Babcock left... He named him in the NHL. So he's been hiring him three times. And I, I don't know if he hired another coach in his life. So maybe he really just wanted to st- to to stick by him. And Brendan Shanahan didn't want that. I don't know. But, you know, Sheldon Keith is still there uh, as we're talking. I guess his, uh, his status will be evaluated with the the new GM. But I'm pretty sure that the name Sheldon Keefe is a part of the problem when we talk about why uh, mm. Kyle Dubis doesn't have a job right now.
2: Yeah, I, I'm yeah. right there with you. I it's to me the most telling thing was you know, there are all those gifts of uh when the Canadians made their run of Bergevin dancing in the uh in his uh in his box, but guess what? Yep. You know what? GMs don't do much in the playoffs once the trade deadline passed, they they ain't doing much, especially in the playoffs. He's basically a fan, so I could. I could understand and agree, Kyle Dubas, you know, celebrate your win after beating Tampa Bay in the first round. Good for you. But man, oh man, did those players and Sheldon Keefe celebrate like they won the freaking Stanley Cup after winning that first round. And to me, that was telltale sign, not for the series. I did not predict that Florida was going to win that series. But I said, man, oh man, are they going to get blown out in game one? they're going to get demolished because you cannot celebrate like that after, you know, every year, eight teams make it out of the first, or eight teams make it out of the first round per conference. Or what are you doing here? You know, or, or total eight teams total. Like what, what, what are we doing? You know, you look like a bunch of idiots and you know, all the city is buzzing. We're, we're ready. And it's kind of like everyone kind of assumed that, you know, Betting wise, you know, fans saying, Oh, this is the year that Toronto's going to do it. And if they do it, they can go on a run. Well, that it kind of felt like the team kind of assumed that as well. It's like, Oh, we made it out of the first round. Now we're going to go on a run. It's automatic. Well, you got to work pretty mm-hmm. damn hard to win another round in the playoffs, let alone win the Stanley Cup. So, uh, I don't know when it, when it happened, it didn't shock me that Florida, that Florida beat them in, well, it shocked me that they beat them in five, but you know, it didn't, <laughs> sh- it didn't shock me that Florida won, but I didn't predict it. Um, all right, let's move on to Florida. Those Florida Panthers. Uh, okay. Let's just, uh, let's talk two things. Uh, one. Okay. So they're up three, nothing. If there was a team that could come back uh, from a three, nothing, three nothing deficit. It would be these Carolina Hurricanes. I feel like, um, if you had to pick one of the two of, of Dallas, well, because Dallas just lost for uh, nothing. For those of you who are watching along, um, or if it was Carolina, I feel like it would be Carolina. That uh, if I had, if you put a gun to my head, um, the reason why I say that is because are the Florida Panthers. I, I don't know. I didn't see an injury update today, but all all I know is that he left yesterday's game in the first period, didn't come back. Are the Panthers in trouble without uh, Sasha Barkov?
1: I don't think they're in trouble uh, without Barkov. I, I think he's still going to play because he was uh, there, there was a case that he could play uh, tomorrow and it's the playoff. So I think he's going to play. But if you tell me that uh, Matthew Kachuk is not going to play or Sergei Bobrovsky is not going to play, I have a different answer. But Barkov, I mean, he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I think the 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 way they're built right now, they're really playing as a team. So I think you could subtract an element from it and they still could uh, keep winning games. Aside, of course, as I said, Kachuk and Bobrovsky because they right now they are the heart of uh, of that team. Go on, Matt. I,
3: I I think it's a problem that they don't have Barkov. Um, he he does so many things out there on uh, on the ice for them. He's really good defensively. But you know, a three nothing lead is is tough to overcome. You know, maybe if the Hurricanes were 100 percent healthy, like if they had Max Pacioretty, um, uh, I think their attack might be become overwhelming at at some point. They might be able to go four straight. I think going four straight in the in the conference finals. It's a tall task for anybody. I agree with you. I think if I was going to pick anybody that had the ability to do it, it'd probably be those Carolina Hurricanes. But I I just think it's going to be a little bit too much. I think Paul Maurice, uh, you know, the the style of coaching that he does, he's he's going to be able to ratchet it down. He's going to be able to grind out like a a two to one win or Mm. something in one of the next two games. And I, I think this is going to end in five, just like it did against the Leafs.
1: So last said, thing, you know, I think usually ahead. the 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 Carolina the Carolina Hurricanes they, they could overcome that that kind of. Um Adversity, but right now, have you seen the nonverbal of those guys? They look demolished because mm-hmm. they, they just don't have yeah. a solution. So maybe you 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 say that sentence 10 days ago would say yes, the, uh, the the hurricanes, they could do everything. Right now, they look very, very weak mentally because they have absolutely no solution. So that's hard on a team, too. When you you know that everything that you're gonna try is not gonna work, you don't have the, the, the same attitude, and even if you really want, you're not as good.
2: Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a good point. Uh, it's funny because I had that exact same thought about Dallas tonight when I was watching them, because mm-hmm. it's like they gave up two and then they came out flying and, you know, then they give up a third. That was a very weak goal. They take Audinger out of net and then they really start to turn it on. They hit like two posts after Audinger came out. And then I'm kind of thinking to myself, man, if Dallas gets one, by. Uh, it's they're going to win this game. Obviously they didn't. Um, but then they just started taking penalty after penalty after penalty in this game. And I'm like, man, you, you, you're, you're basically already down three, nothing in the series. Like, what are we doing here? You guys look like very fragile. Like it wouldn't shock me if uh, you know, Rod is a really, really good coach. I think he's great. I I think like he could squeak out one, maybe two wins. Whereas Dallas, like after this game, I'm like, wow, you guys are dead in the water. It would not shock me if Vegas came out and smacked you guys six nothing um, in the in in game four and swept you and set you to visit go go golfing for the summer. Um, you you got to be like
3: wildly undisciplined to take that many penalties in a row in the playoffs, especially these playoffs where you've seen people oh getting away God. with some ridiculous things. And you take that many penalties, like that you're you're clearly just not even being close to careful. If you're just doing these things right in front of the ref, you're getting called. Like these playoffs have been pretty, I, I'd say whistles for for a lot of games have been you know kind of in the pocket. If, if you're taking those kinds of penalties, it's like well, what does that say about your discipline? It's like if you're, if you're down in the series, you really got to ratchet that down. Make sure we're staying out of the box. We're going to do what we can to try and grind one out here.
2: Well, let's uh, – so that's a great segue. Uh, Miss penalties, uh, none more so than uh, last night. Everyone freaking out about what happened with Sam Bennett on Shane Um Wow. Uh, I couldn't believe that that wasn't a penalty. Nobody could believe that it was a penalty. Uh, it was just – I don't know. Uh, you. Know, I don't like the idea of more video review, but uh, this is where we're going to end off. Um should more be reviewable is it's just i mean that's where we are because every year we have this conversation i know the i know the cons we don't want to make the games longer than they already are but there, there are parameters you could set to make reviews uh you know if you can't find something in three minutes it's over the review's done stop reviewing the play play on if you can't overturn it in three minutes you know are are we at that stage now with these egregious calls my only issue there is my, – my only
3: issue there is what do we mean? Do we mean reviews by player safety or do we mean by the refs? Because if we're letting the refs review them, they can't even get goaltender interference correct. We have no idea right now. If, you, if I show you two different plays of goaltender interference and I said which one's a goal and which one's not a goal, you're going to pick wrong 50% of the time because it's a coin flip. So if we let those same refs start reviewing penalties – you know, how often are they actually going to correct themselves? We've seen it a few times this year, actually. I've written articles on Eyes of the Prize about it when I see it happen, where the refs actually come together and then they correct a, a, a bad call that they made. But you see it very rarely. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder if giving these refs, given that they already can't get goaltender interference correct with the help of the, the war room in Toronto, are they going to do any better with the penalties? My, my gut feeling says no. I would prefer if, you know, the Department of Player Safety was just, you know, doing their job properly and assessing the right suspensions that they should, which would ultimately correct the behavior. The easiest way to get players to start, you know, acting the way that they should on the ice, if you take Sam Bennett aside and say, listen, you're going to be suspended for X amount of games, he's calculating in his head, I'm losing X amount of dollars. So eventually you do that over the course of time and he's going to go, well, uh, I don't like not making that money. So I'm going to stop doing that thing that's making me not make that money. Um, I I just my my concern with giving it to the rest and letting them do more reviews in game is number one, as you mentioned, it's going to elongate the game because they take forever to actually do these things. And number two, they can't seem to actually review anything properly in the first place.
1: Uh, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, you, you, if you want to, to to have those reviews, at first, before having those reviews, you need to make the refs accountable because you have no idea what kind of game you're gonna have if you're the players and if you're the the fans watching it, and you don't want the games to be longer because that's really an issue in sports. I mean, every sports are they're, they're all trying to 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 lower the games. So you you cannot have those situations. Uh, I'm in favor of adding the truth, obviously, but not uh, at the expense of having those longs game and uh, and having all of those mistakes by uh, by the rest.
2: To to me, the biggest thing is just like I agree with you guys, and and I hate introducing new rules because of like egregious things like this because you know you think of offside how did it start Matt Duchene was like 15 feet offside in one one play and then all of a sudden you know they're they're introducing offside review for a freak play that barely ever happens um and now we're calculating millimeters and you know if they were to introduce it, but that's that's opening Pandora's box they decided to do that now that we know the technology is there and it's available it's even what's more frustrating, the delay in the game or knowing that the technology is there and they like they review a goal and they still allow it. But they see on the review that there was an egregious penalty that was missed. You know, what's more frustrating at that point? That's a, that, that, that's that's a debate for another day because we could be here, uh, you know, yelling at each other till yeah. we're blue in the face. But to me, that's where I stand on it at this point It's like common sense has to take over at some point. And if you introduced all these reviews, you got to make more things reviewable because that last night was just ridiculous what happened and how that wasn't called a penalty on that high stick on Sam Bennett. Yeah.
3: Nuts. And yeah, look, you can make rule changes that make sense. Right. And sometimes if they elongate the game a little bit, it's fine. The, the only question is, are you elongating the game in service of something that that's not going to end up working? Like when they, like back in the day, a long time ago, when you had a minor penalty, the player used to stay in the box for the whole two minutes, no matter how many times he scored. They changed that rule because the Montreal Canadiens had a power play with Maurice Richard, <laughs> Doug Harvey, uh, Bernard Geoffrion, and uh, uh, who else? Who else was on there? Uh, Jean Béliveau was on there as well. So they had some of the best players in the world on their power play, and they would score, you know, six times in a two-minute penalty. And the league said, well, you know what? These guys are too good. We're, we're not going to allow that anymore. So once the team scores, this guy gets out of the box. And that, that made a heck of a lot of sense, right? And it worked. So the question that I have is if you're going to make a rule change, sure, it might make sense, but it has to also work, right? You mentioned penalties that happen right before a goal, right? Again, I go back to goaltender interference. We we don't know what goaltender interference is right now. So I, I wonder, are they going to know what the penalty is when they're looking at it? Or are they going to say, wow, you know what? Uh, that was incidental and they're just going to make it up. Right. We even heard them on some of their reviews for goals where they'll come back and they'll say like their reasoning for the call doesn't make any sense with what you actually saw on the ice. They'll say um, that I've I've seen them before where they say the call on the call on the ice was no goal. But you can see on video the ref doing this. What are you talking about? You guys just made something up. We all have televisions. We can all see on the replay that you called it a goal. And now you're saying the call on the ice was no goal. So when you do these reviews, sometimes the refs, they seem to just invent whatever they want to see. And then they go out on the ice and they make a call and everybody sitting at home is just scratching their heads going, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? I just watched it and that's not what happened. So again, big roundabout way for me to say I'm with you. Some changes make a lot of sense, but you have to make sure that it actually works in practice. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't, then I'd say, keep it the way it is and pray that George Perros and the DOPS can start actually punishing some of these uh, illegal plays
1: yeah that's a factor too because if you you know those those suspensions are really not very long and i don't know if you saw the 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 mm. Jamie Benn hit today mm. i mean he's going to end up with one or two games or something like that and it's going to start all over again in a few games so yeah. if if the players are not punished they they're just going to continue to to draw those hits and we're going to continue to have those conversations and it's all it, it it's not going to be any easier so i don't know I'm, i mean the system is kind of broken right now it's uh, like,
3: well, and the five thousand dollar fines too, right? Oh, yeah, if that's you a fine. Lot. An NHL player five thousand dollars. That's like, if any of us was driving, uh, you know, 190 kilometers down the highway, we get pulled over by the cops and they go, Here's a five dollar fine. We're gonna be like, Okay, <laughs> it's not gonna stop me from driving 190. I'll be like, Cool, I'll pay that all day long because I'm getting to work faster. It's yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's it's funny because uh, and called me at uh, at about six o'clock ish today and we were we were just talking about the show and you know the, the show throughout the summer and plans and whatnot and he go and he just says to me he goes i don't know who the hell is running this league but who the hell puts a draft on a wednesday night in the middle of the week and i'm like yeah i kind of agree with you like who the hell is running this league like who's making these decisions it kind of feels like they they don't they just you know, they just do whatever they want. They've never made a smart decision ever. I mean, actually I did, I will give them kudos. They made one smart decision, all playoffs. And it was on Sunday putting the Dallas stars and Vegas golden Knights game two at 3 30 PM or 3 PM because there was a basketball game that everybody else would have been watching at night. You want eyes on your sport. Don't try to compete with another sport that is miles ahead of you in other, uh, in other ways. Anyways, um, we we we're, we're just about out of time. Uh, that flew by, which is great because you know first time back in three weeks. I would say uh, I did a I did a bang up job. I didn't mess up. I didn't swear. It's all good. And your banner didn't, didn't fall on me. your head. So yeah, that's true. Hey? It didn't even move. Like normally, this okay. I don't know if you could see, but there's like a center fold here. There's like one of the folds, and it just sometimes it'll just like V on me. Like not even – it will just V forward, outwards. And it hit me in the head today as I was working. I was doing my job and it hit me in that. I was like, oh, I should call in sick for the rest of the day. That didn't even happen. So duct tape is in good shape. You hear that, Sammy in and Yellow. You could hold off on getting me, uh, you know, another sign for a few more uh, weeks or months. We'll call it. Anyways, guys, thank you very much for joining me on this Tuesday evening. Uh, just before you go, just tell everyone where they could find uh, your work, and we'll start with Shao.
1: Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Charles Alexi. You can read uh, danslescoulisses.com com for all the Habs news, and you can listen to me at BPM Sport um, a few times uh, a few times a week, actually. So uh, yes, and thank you for for having me, Matt. Always a pleasure.
2: Always a pleasure having you, uh, Matt. Send us off with uh, with where people can find your work
3: yeah i'm on twitter at drake mt um looking forward to making some gifts and some uh, mp4s of the uh, memorial cup coming up soon very excited for that um outside of that you can find me at www.habseyesandtheprize.com we've gone independent now we're running our own show so uh That means I get to swear all the time. No, I I don't actually swear on the articles. But anyways, we're also on uh, Spotify. If you want to listen, if you don't want to look at my face while I'm ranting, uh, you can go to, again, Eyes on the Prize, uh, Montreal Canadiens podcast. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us on there as well. Mostly working on draft coverage right now. Um, But once the season starts, then we kick into gear with uh, the Montreal Canadiens coverage. So,
2: yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks, guys, for uh, for joining. It's always very, very much appreciated and uh, have a great rest of your weeks. Thank you very much. All right. There you go. That is your Tuesday edition of the sick podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Tony will be back tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday. Until then, we'll see you next time.
0: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida Embrace your true nature.